I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In no time, like, basically, my mindset and my attitude around this was, well, you wanted this to be as fucking hard as it could be, and you've got exactly what you wanted. Day one. <sighs> Tough going. I think the minute you stand still is the minute you're dead. Day two, um, 48 hours done now. Uh, three full days down, 72 hours in. Four full days in. Doesn't matter, just keep driving forward. Day five. Uh, our five days done. Maybe it's been bred into me, but I've always had a, a curiosity to, to explore the world. Day 56, eight weeks done and dusted. Mood is good, spirits are high. Day 43, done and dusted. Day actually. 32, done and dusted. Anything and everything is, is achievable. Yeah, this is going to be fucking epic, man. This is only 24 hours in and um, yeah, it's tough. My name is Damien Brown and welcome to Deep Roots. And welcome back to episode 8 of the story of my solo and unsupported row across the Atlantic. So last week we left it off at the craziest day of the crossing, the craziest day of my life. All of those things. Day 14, never to be forgotten. Uh, probably never stopped talking about it either because of um, some of the lessons that I threw up um, and some of the experiences. It was definitely um, existence right on the edge of um, my experience of life anyway, that's for sure. And it etched a lot of things into my mind or etched a lot of memories into my um, into my long-term bank I was just thinking about that, um, the fact that my memories are, a lot of them are gone, you know, a lot like, I don't remember huge portions of the race. I have this kind of general map of the big occasions like day one, day nine, day 14, day 17, 
um, and then the the low 40s um, and then into the 50s I kind of remember a bit more vividly but like there's huge portions of it like that are just gone and I remember in Antigua even seven days out I think I did an Instagram post mentioning this at the time or around the time just been like greedy to keep those memories but almost feeling them or seeing them fade away and there was like a tinge of sadness with that that I couldn't keep them all that the, there wasn't room there wasn't room for all those really specific details of how I managed you know like the almost like the unconscious functioning and that I was um, living and doing that had kind of become conscious through the states I was finding myself in or was becoming more aware of of kind of how I was dealing with things out there and how I was surviving and the the processes and mechanisms that I put in place but then the real details are like are gone they were like one of the first things and then you're kind of left with this kind of broad kind of sweeping overview um, with just a few days that stand out that like nearly kind of pinpoint or no, what's the word um kind of zigzag uh, hitting these pinpoints through the whole story i suppose i also have talked a lot about these days day one day nine day 14 day 17 day four the, the kind of low 40s and uh, into the 50s as well uh so that's probably kept them a little bit fresher um, and even maybe regurgitated some stuff that was kind of hidden there in my memories just to thought to start this episode eight off so episode eight is going to encompass days the next three days so day 15 16 and 17 i only have two videos for those three days i missed day 15 i didn't take that was one of the few days on the whole crossing so the video, uh, sorry, uh, the audio you're going to hear. Jesus, I never stop saying video and audio. Um, but the audio you're going to hear is a recap of day 15 and day 16. So it is, there's a there's quite a bit in it because there was a lot happening in this period. And uh, on the far side of it, there'll be plenty to chat about. So um, I'm going to just dive straight in. And share that after crazy day 14 uh, the next couple of days and, and my thoughts on it. Enjoy. Day 16. <laughs> um, I didn't do anything actually yesterday either. didn't do any updates. So I'll kind of just go through the last couple of days. So yesterday was a... Uh, bit of a frustrating day didn't get much miles done uh, having some issues with the steering that are um, that are proving um, yeah disheartening to say the least uh, I'm really struggling to control basically um, the steering you know and control the boat so uh, yeah it can it can uh, it can it can do your head in a little bit but at the same time i'm uh, moving generally in the direction i want so it's just i'm not really maximizing the uh what's there but um what else yesterday oh yeah <laughs> yesterday i had three mars bars for breakfast 
Uh, I hope that's the last time I ever say that in my life. Um, I was uh, so I was trying to sort out the trying to get a bit of weight into the stern of the boat. So um, I was moving all the wet rations back and moving some of the dry stuff um, out of the lockers at the back of the boat onto kind of the cockpit. And uh, I found found the bag of Mars bars that um, Andy Styles and Sean Tubb from A Team Adventures gave me. Um, and uh, yeah, I couldn't help myself, had one, um, had another one, and then I found some coffee that I brought, and then I uh, saw a cup, and I said I haven't had a cup of coffee in a while, uh, and I had another one with that, so uh, yeah, not uh, kids eat your broccoli, uh, <laughs> not um, not three Mars bars, but um, listen, uh, yeah, uh, yesterday was so, after that it was pretty non-eventful, uh, just tried to pick up a couple of miles, um, and I think I... I, yeah, I didn't really give a shit to be honest with you after the after day 14, which was the crazy day. And today again, what can you say? Pretty uneventful. Um, I think I've rode eight or nine hours at this stage uh, from this morning and slept really well again. Um, yeah, a new waypoint from leaving. Who's doing my weather? Um, so we're heading that way. Only. Uh, 1,315 nautical miles from it. <laughs> it's just around the corner. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I struggle to stay on the oars for more than two hours. Like, it's just, it's pretty mundane and your arse starts to hurt and you're like, you're just looking for any excuse. So I, you're forcing yourself to stay on four to two hours, but when two hours comes, you, I can't get off straight ahead quick enough and at the moment I'm just taking like kind of half an hour 40 minute breaks but uh, um, I came up with a little thing today to just help me stay on a little just a question uh, when I want to get off is can you do one more stroke so that's helped me a little bit um, I've asked it a lot about myself today um, these uh, yeah the sessions can kind of drag a little bit and you think about all sorts of stuff like Jesus your mind hops from one thing to another from the past the future to the present and uh yeah people and relationships and you know uh, what you want to do with your life and you know stuff you've done in the past and how you could have done better it's yeah it's all it's um yeah it's all over the shop so um it's all good it's all good um well another thing i kind of came up with as well was like when you're struggling a little bit on to stay on the oars is just kind of um uh given looking at yourself from a different perspective so say if you were in a drone or in a whatever airplane and you were passing by and you saw saw that one guy just churning along in the middle of the ocean on his own on a boat and how you'd feel about him and and, and that's something i've tried to use the last couple of days just kind of coming out of my own body and going you know whatever two or three um two or three hundred meters into the air and seeing myself and seeing you know the um uh, the area I'm in and the waves and from a completely different perspective giving me a different perspective on, on, on the situation you know which which helps a little bit as well so um, yeah it's just little hacks to, to try and keep yourself um, just churning away uh, I think the the biggest 
the biggest challenge I find is the the numbers. You know, you're always thinking about how many miles, what speed am I going, how many miles am I doing today, how many will I do if I do this work for two hours and two hours and four hours or whatever, and then and then how many miles will that mean I'll do in a week, and then oh, how many and then that my, um, that means I'll cross the ocean. So it doesn't fucking matter. It really doesn't, man. You just you get there when you get there. You know, you just you're just trying to get those get that out of my head stop thinking about the outcome and just be more present and um and just think about every stroke and and enjoy it and if you can enjoy it if not just kind of try and switch your brain off to a different a different place and just just keep kind of churning away and keeping make big stroke big efficient strokes that you know are getting you somewhere like because every stroke is getting you that little bit closer uh so that's about the last couple of days um cabin is a little bit drier thankfully after a couple of capsizes uh, not so much moisture um, and uh, had a few texts through which is always nice it's nice to know people are thinking of you oh and I read a couple of letters as well which were great uh, I read um, uh, Jenny and Noel uh, rabbits and flies as well so um, yeah, and I'll, I'll continue to reread them because they're they're amazing um, and um, yeah, have some photos as well. My parents gave me, um, which I looked through again for the second time today, just um, ones from childhood and holidays and um, uh, yeah, as a kid, as a baby, and even a few more recent ones and ones of Elmo and that. So they're uh, they're really cool as well. Glad to have them on board. All right. So there's quite a bit to unpack in there, right? Um, the main thing was the steering. Since the capsize, the steering had been seriously problematic. But before I get into that, I can't let this moment pass without chatting about the three Mars bars for breakfast. I am quite protective of what I put into my body. I understand it's my choice and nobody's forcing anything down my throat and um, I hold myself to quite a high standard there but it has been hard work my whole life to change habits in that area. I have gone from a very young professional rugby player that had no problem eating a couple of four-star pizzas for dinner and a litre of coke to somebody now 20 years or so later that it would that is abhorrent <laughs> and it there's no day I don't have some sort of negative chatter internally around diet and eating too much or eating the wrong thing uh, it's a constant um, battle, it would be a good way to describe it for me. You know, you are, te I find it, it, it is testing three, four, five, six times a day, depending on how many meals I'm eating and what I'm doing and what I'm preparing for. Um, it's constantly, a, yeah, it's constantly a fight, constantly a battle, constantly testing. Uh, and that takes a lot of emotional energy. Yeah, over the years I have 
significantly change things in that area but it's it's never easy and it's something i accept um or tr- I'm, I'm i'm working on accepting or trying to be more accepting of and that'll always be that way that i will always have this um, battle that i will always have this negative kind of chatter around that sort of stuff so basically after eating those three mars bars i I would have beaten the shit out of myself. I'm sorry, I would have. I remember beating the shit out of myself, just feeling really sorry for myself um, um, because that was my choice to put them in there. And why were they in the boat? Because I was given a bag of about, I don't know, I'd say 20 odd of them by Andy Styles and Sean Tubb, who were in a team called um, A Team Adventure. Unfortunately, their race never even started because of a. Um, a loss in Andy's family so um, yeah I, I mean very sad um, obviously a turn of events a couple of days before the race was meant to start so anyway that's beside the point right but they very generously were um, while our boats were on cradles in Lagomera they were walking by one day and they had a load of food like in their hands like big bag of Mars bars and a load of I think frankfurters or something in uh, cans and they were like giving it away and I knew Andy a little bit from the year before I'd met him and he was a really good guy and we'd had a few beers watching a, um, a rugby game when I came out to the Autumn Internationals were on in the bar in um the Blue Marlin Bar in Lagomera and I'd come out to just meet some of the teams and chat to people I talked about before Gav Hennigan and Lane Hopley and and I met Andy and them and um, yeah he was just dead sound and uh, so I kind of had a relationship already anyway he, he gave me these bag of Mars I accepted the Mars bars almost out of um, not kind of wanting to be rude but uh, thinking, geez, I wish they weren't really on the boat because I, I knew that challenge was going to be there for me then. And uh, It's interesting that it, because I, I would have this um, theory, well, it's more than, I think it might be more than theory, but that um, when I, what I've noticed, what I've witnessed with myself is when there is some sort of disturbance internally, be it emotional, more than likely emotional, I am more inclined to eat badly and search out things that would be labeled um, rightly or wrongly bad food. So, um, you know, I, I it was it's interesting to note that I was on morning of day 16 and I was struggling with the steering and it was after the double capsize that actually... I um I found those uh, and then I couldn't help myself, but I had to eat fucking three of them. Um, uh, and there was moments, other moments uh, during the race where, um, you know, it, this was an emotional roller coaster. So there was times when I was really down. And um, what did I notice about my actions? What did I witness? Is that I searched out. Uh, chocolate and um, there was one other thing that I'll come back to in future episodes there was one other kind of outlet um, that I when I was feeling shit when I couldn't process my emotions and feelings uh, that I searched out Uh, some of you might guess what it is um, but we'll get to it don't worry so uh, yeah I remember just beating the shit out of myself after that and it might sound bizarre right like because um it really makes no difference but i think 
it's having that association that I, I know there's something up mentally or emotionally when I do search out things like that and, and, and kind of the unaccessibility of that or maybe even the fear of accessing it or the avoidance of it that um, stirs up the um, the maybe self-loathing is a wrong word but it's something along those lines you know the that internal battle that I am losing <laughs> So that was uh, the three Mars bars. And the reason I came across them was because um, the steering was fucking... After day 14 and the double cap sizes, and, you know, as I alluded to or talked about in that episode, I just couldn't um, get the boat to do what I wanted to do. And um, it was doing my head in, and it was a battle morning, morning of day 15. And um, the advice from Justin Adkins was to get as much weight into the um, the back of the boat as possible and get that keel, you know, the V-shape of the boat, get that sitting down so it would help the boat track better. So the more that could sit into the water, um, the better the boat would track in the waves. So... Um, we have to bring 90 days i sorry as a solo rower i had to bring 90 days worth of food 72 days of dry and 18 days of wet rations and the wet rations are much less uh, caloric um, and they are much heavier so um, they're not really anywhere near as valuable in terms of like a, a fuel for the ocean and then they're bulkier and no they're not well they're a little bit bulkier but they're just heavier and you know you want that boat to be as light as possible so you don't really want 18 days but you have to bring 18 days because it's a percentage of the amount of time uh, the maximum time they think you'll you'll spend out there so anyway so i had 18 days worth of that so i um that's personally that wasn't stuff i had any appetite for they were just on the boat because it was part of the rules of the race so i was like well and Justin was saying, get all of that and get it into the compartments in the back of the boat. Get as close to the back of the boat as you can so the boat will sit down a bit more. And obviously, that's the back, that's the bow cabin. So, um, uh, yeah, the, no, sorry, it's not the bow cabin, jeez. That's the cabin, the aft cabin, the stern cabin. So the back of the boat. So that's where I sleep also. That's my cabin. So when I'm lying down sleeping, the boat should be tracking um, really good with all the weight. So that was, I was just moving things around. So there's loads of little different um, compartments uh, on deck and inside in the cabin. So I was just trying to get all the weight, all the heavier stuff that was kind of going to be a little bit um, less used as well, you know. So I was just doing that during that day and that's when I came across the Mars bars. Um, And I just couldn't help myself, not even one, but three of them. Uh, So, yeah. And you notice also, uh, or you might remember from that audio clip was kind of my attitude you know I was like I didn't really give a fuck um after I said it after day 14 and the reasoning behind that was like survival had just changed my perspective I was no longer um well over these two days anyway I was no longer seeking or didn't matter to me um a mile here and there normally you know, I want to get the maximum, not only out of every day, but out of every fucking second of every day, every stroke, I want to get the absolute maximum out of it. And if I'm not, um, that's the standards I hold myself I hold myself to. And if I'm not 
um, that pisses me off, you know, and I will um, I will get quite hard. I will critique myself very hard around that and I will bring more out of myself. I will will more out of myself. But these two days after day 14, I didn't give a fuck. Like I was just like, whatever, if I only get 45 miles grand, you know, it's not 56 or whatever I got the day before, or, you know, I just, I, that performance, that drive was just sapped out of me just because of um, getting through that day and the survival element and the, the drain of it and how much it took out of me. So it, it, it did change my attitude for a few days, but that, that was soon enough to bounce back. And it was a, it was an attitude that, um, was, I suppose, bittersweet is probably, uh, might be the wrong expression, but it was, it was good and bad, basically. There was, there's great parts to that attitude, but also you can do your own fucking head in um, at times. And I did, I did under the the duress of this journey. And again, that's that's something that will be um, will be very prevalent and will be brought up. And you'll hear lots about it in in uh, future in some of the upcoming episodes. A couple of other things pop out in that that I think deserve some airtime. So at the end, I talked about letter getting um, open. I wasn't delivered letters, that's for sure. I opened a couple of letters I mentioned, and um, and and they were from friends, um, and they were kept aside for tougher times. And that is um, that was a kind of strategy I thought would help, um, and it did. But I, that's something I will uh, delve into a little bit more in the next episode because there's a there is in that audio clip from day eighteen. There's a there's a really nice link to the letters and. Uh, I get pretty uh, emotional about things. So I think that'd be a better episode to talk about it. But I also had some photos that my parents had brought me, or sorry, that they had kind of added to uh, their letters. And those were some things uh, like there was probably about 35, 40 from all different periods of my life, but mostly from kind of childhood to teens and holidays as a family and that. And they were really special. I still have them upstairs in a... Um, basically just in a elastic band you know um with all the oil all the letters so that, that's what i touched on at the end um and i touched upon uh, the the battle of the staying on the oars for two hours and a nice little um questioning cue i came up with to help me through it, i have this um i've discussed um, I've noticed or what is um, a remark I've made through kind of endurance and extreme adventures more than anything is around time frames and the pressure that time frames put on you and I've come up with a hack um, called um, something that helps me through that because I think it's just the, the psychological heaviness of time frames can be tricked basically and it's called extended limit but in this case the hack or the sorry it wasn't it's not a hack but it's just the questioning around the state so to change your state and redirect yourself to something within your control was a question a self-talk question uh, well obviously a self-talk question but 
Um, you'll hear more about a thing called the four controllables in uh, episodes to come. Jeez, I'm talking a lot about episodes to come today. You're probably saying, we'll talk about this one. <laughs> well, here we hey. So there's the four, there's, there's four controllables and one of those just that like you can basically what they are is their redirects through awareness and concentration. So firstly, you have to be aware of what your mind is saying to you. And secondly, you have to be able to concentrate on something within your control and that redirects your mind to a much to the present moment which is a very neutral state where time is depressurized so in this case this is before i even had put any kind of shape on the four controllables i was doing this with um one of my one of the controllables in self-talk you can always control what you're saying to yourself um it was just a a question can i do one more stroke and that was getting me through those two hour stints to the end because what I found was uh, and to kind of come back to the start to this point was that first 90 minutes grand last half an hour felt like another fucking 90 minutes um, and it sh- I mean it is no different like every minute of that is exactly the same it's just how I perceive those minutes is different and that last half an hour should not be any different to the first uh, 90 minutes in how they are perceived, but they are because there's this end, this time limit end that you have imposed on it. Uh, and I always find that a little bit difficult and I, in, I haven't planned on this, but maybe in future episodes I'll talk about extended limit, which just helps change that um, perception. Uh, it's just a little it's a little trick that uh, works really well in these cases but I actually prefer um, this process of the four controllables and concentrating on something within your control because that brings you back to the present moment and that brings you back into a state where you are uh, concentrating on something so you're actually learning um, um, while uh, pursuing which I think is um, a much more fulfilling state to find yourself in. And the second kind of thing I talked about here was um, a perspective shift. I noticed that, and I think this applies, no, I know this applies to life, that we are quite, well, we definitely live in a culture that is more narcissistic than it's ever been. And we do become quite self-absorbed. And it was no different for me on the boat. I became quite absorbed in what I was doing and what I was thinking and what I was seeing and what I was feeling. And what I was seeing was basically just horizon, the hatch of a cabin and horizon, the same thing. And obviously different, the sea doing all sorts of fucking different shapes every split second of the, of every day. I was watching that. But um, you become a little bit tunneled by that, you know, if you're only seeing that. And I couldn't at times, I wasn't seeing the big picture here. I wasn't seeing myself from any sort of different angles, you know, like so in visualization, uh, a powerful uh, visualization tool is to see yourself um, in the third person doing stuff and feeling the emotion around that so you might put yourself into the eyes and the body of someone close to you and uh, connect with their emotions them seeing you do something 
or you might watch yourself in a movie and see yourself doing let's well this case is let's talk about this case rowing the Atlantic and how might that make you feel and I was getting bogged down in my own thoughts and my own like that tunnel kind of horizon view that I was only seeing and I, I couldn't see the the big picture here which was one guy in this tiny little fucking boat trying to cross this ginormous expanse of the earth on his own by manpower alone and just striving away every day and trying and trying and, and not giving up and that shift that perspective shift is a completely state changer like I mean it just like you go from I don't know um, forlorn or uh, heaviness or a bit of self-pity or self-doubt or just in the negative chatter you just you swing yourself around into a much more positive state by by changing that perspective and using the emotions that might bring up or the emotions you would infuse into it uh, and that was a lovely little um, hack that I continue to use and in a much more aggressive way at, at, at later dates as you'll hear so I think that was the mostly the stuff hit on from day 15 and 16. Numbers was another thing that came up, right? Uh, becoming outcome orientated, um, which is, again, uh, as an inducer of a state of negativity or heaviness or doubt. Because why? Well, it's out of your control. You can only control the present moment. You can't control the numbers, but this was this was uh, a battle that a bit like um, my daily um, diet or meal plan battle. This was a battle that uh, was ongoing from oh, I nearly say from day one. Even though the I I do remember some days not really caring about numbers, but um, they were constantly at the front of your mind, just constantly thinking about uh, looking at the GPS and about daily limits and you know I don't know how many texts I sent home to my brother or my dad how many miles did I do today because I didn't know like um, okay I was trying to calculate off the GPS but you know they had the they had the details of the race um, they were watching they could see the other boats they could see me they could see my speed they could see my distance covered in 24 hours they could see my estimated arrival time I couldn't see any of this so I'd be texting the whole time texting my brother at like fucking four in the morning uh, how many miles did I do today or or um, yeah so like it was it was constant constantly thinking about it and that comes back to I suppose that just having that mentality you know but yeah numbers numbers was another thing and that outcome orientation you know outcome focus like thinking about well if I do this many miles today I will and I kind of up my average that will mean I'll kind of get in here so you're <laughs> and again that's just a that's not a, a comfortable state to live in because you are thinking about something outside of your control but um if you have the secret uh, about how not to think about it for long stretches of um, time while you're in a environment and um, situation like I was in, please tell me how because uh, that that is um, that's gold if you have it and I, I haven't worked it out just yet.
So we move into day 17 and um, do you know what? I'm just going to play that video straight away and then uh, chat about it a bit afterwards. So here's day 17 um, from, as I say, mid-Atlantic. Here, enjoy. Hi guys, uh, day 17 from mid-Atlantic somewhere. Um, just wanted to come on and uh, give you a little bit of an update on what's been going on the last few days. You've probably seen I haven't made a whole lot of progress uh, since that uh, that crazy day of two cap sizes. Um, basically, I've had issues with my foot steering um, since then, you know, taking uh, my whole mornings normally trying to sort it and and then um, not getting anywhere basically taking a whole lot of rowing away and in progress so uh, until this morning that is when I woke up and found it in a couple of different pieces um, and it, it's basically unfixable so um, yeah now, now it's for the knackers yard and uh, I won't be foot steering anymore, it'll be hand steering and it'll just be steering with the oars so it'll probably slow me down a little bit more but uh, yeah it just adds to the challenge right? They don't call it the Atlantic Challenge for nothing and uh, it's been quite challenging so far. Um, but listen, uh, spirits are high, the eye is good, I don't know if you can see that there but uh, yeah it's healing up nicely. and. Um, on a positive note, sun is shining. First day uh, I've had the sunshine in uh, since leaving Lagomera, I think. Um, so yeah, getting a bit of work done on the tan. And I had Sky by today, which is one of the support yachts, uh, Manny and um, Manny and Kyle. So it was great to talk to them for a little while and see them. And uh, yeah, listen, um, can't keep a good. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Man down, right? So we'll just keep churning away and... As long as I have a boat that floats, two oars and a seat, uh, I'm going to keep rowing west and hopefully get there. Talk soon. Believe it or not, this is one of my favourite days. And it may even be my favourite memory. Or sorry, my favourite memory of the whole uh, trip. The whole trip. The whole uh, challenge. The whole voyage. The whole experience. Probably is from this day so i woke up and i've been battling now for 48 hours with the steering crawled out of the cabin and the first thing i see first thing i'm faced with is the back of the two foot pads one one is um fixed and the other one is my foot steering panel if you want foot pad and that is off that is loose that is 
falling down to the side that is not anywhere near where it should be basically and then in the the foot well it's actually a um it's actually where the bilge pump sits but it's also kind of a bit of a foot well for getting in and out of the cabin there's this kind of l-shaped steel rod and my heart drops because at the end of that l-shaped kind of circular rod it's clearly broken you know it's not something that fits into place or it's just popped out of place it's it's broken and i really don't know what this means you know there's there's lots of unknowns there's lots of things racing through my head but i'm pretty sure it's unfixable and sure enough it was unfixable rang justin chatted him through it actually i think i took a couple of really short videos and sent them to him and then we talked yeah rang him took a couple of short like 13 12 11 second videos and then uh, sent them to him through the began the thing that i was sending these videos with anyway uh, and then then we rang and he's like yeah sorry mate that's not good he's like i have no fucking idea how that broke but i haven't had one break on me in 12 years and uh, unfortunately it's happened to you now um and do you know what my favorite memory was or why i kind of started this with that is that i processed that in no time like basically my mindset and my attitude around this was well you wanted this to be as fucking hard as it could be and you've got exactly what you wanted so now we're going to see what you're made of and and that reaction like that reaction's a choice i could have and I would have been well within anyone's, um, I think, sane opinion to really get down on myself and feel sorry and um, feel sorry for myself and kind of let the self-pity roll and just... But I, I, that wasn't it at all. I was like, right, here we go. Here we fucking go. Now we're going to see what you're made of. <laughs> and I just... I, I often say that or I, I have been I have been known to say in the past that you only get glimpses into windows of yourself when you're under these incredible stresses and strains and, and fatigue and challenges and extremes and that was one of them. I got a very clear window into my character how it reacts under enormous an enormous shift in consequences and it reacted very positively and it saw the positive side of things and and that makes me feel incredibly good that makes me um feel secure because uh, you can fucking throw anything at me because i'm only 800 miles away from land here i've still got over 2000 nautical miles to go and I am thinking, this is, I mean, I'm thinking about this positively. And I, you know, it's not often you get to see that so clearly and feel that and live that experience so clearly. And, and that's, that's why that's my favorite, nearly my, it might be my favorite memory. Like I also really enjoyed kind of hanging on by one arm to the 
bottom to the boat as it went 180 degrees through the water and just going absolutely calmly um, squeeze your grip but this is right up there that's an experience that's a moment that can never be taken away that like that's how I chose to react in a pretty dire situation I think what helped that a little bit was two years before this race there was a guy called Daryl Farmer from the UK who also lost his rudder so basically what my losing my steering meant is I lost the use of my rudder and he lost his rudder some freak accident or I can't really remember now I knew he lost his rudder so he had to get across similar distance I think a little bit less uh, like a 1200 miles or so but uh, without a rudder but uh, with a heavier boat now in fairness he had a big heavy boat called Bojangles um, so I knew there was there was precedent somebody had done it before so I knew it could be done um, but I didn't have any fucking idea how hard it was going to be um, but that's for that is all upcoming but it's a, it's a bit of a strange sequence of events how that came to pass so I bought the boat how the uh, broken steering came to pass and how it never was flagged before that so I bought the boat off um, a girl in Bristol called um, Eleanor I forget her second name now but Eleanor had attempted the Great Pacific Race which is a race from Monterey in California to Hawaii actually so had Daryl believe it or not but uh, same year but none of the solos that year uh, made it across because they faced big storms and it's a really it's a tough road that um, because of the currents and the winds hitting the way they hit the boat uh, once you get leave San Fran anyway that's beside the point so Eleanor got blown south so she'd only basically done about um, 600 miles in the boat so the boat was basically new it had very little use when I bought it and it had been sitting in a barn for like three years or something in a small village in Bristol so I was um, I was delighted with this like it hadn't much use it was a great boat built by a fantastic boat builder um, and it was within my budget so I picked up the boat and the plan was that uh, uh, Steve Eleanor's girlfriend or Eleanor fuck I think her name is Eleanor something is telling me that's wrong but anyway that they would once I bought the boat uh, the plan was that um, they'd take me out on a, a lake near them and show me how to launch it and show me how to you know all the there's a lot that goes into it to get it in the water how to um, get it back on the trailer how to row it blah 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 how everything works coincidentally when I was going to pick up the boat then Steve had to cancel and Eleanor wasn't around so Steve was meant to bring me out he had to cancel because something came up in his work so I was like not to worry I will um, I'd there's a guy in my hometown, Gavin Hennigan. He rode the Atlantic last year. Uh, when I get it back to Galway, I'll give Gav a ring and I'll ask Gav to give me a dig out and help me uh, get the boat in the water and show me all the uh, what needs to be learnt there. Sound. So I get home to Galway. The boat's in the, my parents' driveway in Renmore. I uh, give Gav a ring. I say, Gav, what's the crack? Um, got the boat. Sighting times. Are you around? I need a bit of a hand getting in and out of the water I need to I need basically um, ocean rowing 101 he was like you're not going to believe this I just got Gav's a deep sea 
um, saturation diver. He hadn't been working for a while. And he goes, I just got a job in, I think it was in Libya or somewhere fucking mental. Uh, I'm leaving tomorrow. I was like, jeez, my heart dropped. I was like, what the fuck? Long story short, I don't get the boat in the water. I'm looking at it for three weeks in my parents' driveway. Uh, it's fucking frustrating the shit out of me. I'm like, I need to start rowing that thing. So a friend of mine is married to a girl whose um, dad is a fisherman in the Clada in Galway, um, Martin Oliver. So eventually he puts us together. I say, Martin, can you show me how to get this boat off the trailer into the water? He says, no problem. So Martin and his son, Tom, uh, gave me a dig out one day. But they don't have any experience with um, an ocean rowing boat. And they, um, they never rowed or they, you know... They never steered one like so they didn't know that there was possibly something up with the steering so they were like incredibly helpful and i'm so grateful for their um time and energy and um help with the whole project i mean it was such a relief to get that boat in the water and get out in the ocean and rowing it then i was kind of skilled up a little bit and then I was able to do it on my own and I used to go out from Renville and launch it there and no issues but like I always had this inkling at the back of my head like this it's just it's not doesn't feel like it should even though I had no reference right it just I just felt but I because you're such a amateur like because you're such a novice you you don't want to really say it to anyone and you don't know who to say it to either so I think I said it to Justin a couple of times during because I had to bring it back for refits and that and um i think i said it but like there was nothing wrong with like kind of the you know a quick overview of the steering there was nothing wrong that he could see so and then i i actually um i employed a guy for an employed is the wrong word but i um i got a guy over called leaven brown who's like rode like seven oceans or he's rode an ocean seven times or, and he uh, has services where he'll help you out. And I had just been kind of learning on my own, you know, and I, I felt like something has to be done here. Like I need a little bit more expertise, like, because I, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, basically. So I got leaving over. He came over for two days to Galway. And um, the first day we went out in the boat and he did the whole rigmarole. And even he rode it for a little while um, because it was real windy that day. And he said... Yeah, that steering is a bit I don't know there's a bit off with that anyway and I was like okay because good because that's what I'm feeling but I don't have a clue so I didn't want to say it to anyone or I, I was you know I'm not making a big fuss because it might make me look like a fool like and I don't want to be looking like a fool I'm I'm blagging enough of this as it is you know I'm, it's fake until you make it here um anyway that was that so that was the first day and we were meant to go out the second day with leaving but uh the winds were too high um like they were blowing there was a lot of white tops a lot of waves on the bay so there was no way we could go out that day because these boats are incredibly vulnerable to um, wind and if you're around it's grand if you're in the middle of the ocean um you know have at it they'll blow the boat wherever and you don't care because you can't hit anything but you can hit a lot of things around the coast and there's no stopping it uh, so we couldn't go out that day so that was the end of that kind of training session our training weekend with leaving and he took off back to scotland so grant i was um continued my training I was getting better i was getting more skilled at kind of maneuvering the boat in tight situations and just felt way more comfortable and kind of got used to the steering so again i just didn't know that there was um an issue looming here 
Got the boat to Lagomera, talked about this already, but it took a while to get it in the water. I was one of the last people to complete um, the compliance inspections. Uh, got it in the water and then the waves, uh, sorry, the, the winds were really heavy. So we, um, I never, so by the time I got the boat ready, um, the weather picked up and I actually never got the boat out to uh, go, sorry, to practice, do my sea trials, launch my power anchor like they talked about before. And Justin was here, he was at, he was in La Gomera and that was the plan. So like Justin would have known straight away if I had got out with him and he had rowed the boat for a little while and I had done the powering. He would have known, like it would have triggered, but because it never happened uh, due to the um, the weather and solos, the fear of solo not getting back into the marina because of the winds, um, we never had that opportunity. So basically it was a case of this weird sequence of events that nobody with the knowledge uh, that... There was something up or would have triggered something that the steering was um was kind of a looming problem um got a chance to row the boat and when they did like with leaving it was kind of yeah maybe i'm not sure so uh yeah it's just a very unfortunate sequence of events and then sure enough the thing goes and justin later said to me that that was probably broken before I even left. Um, and it would make sense thinking about it. That's, you know, that um, all those experiences in the training and the run up to it and everything, it would make sense that it was, it wasn't working from the start. And I had just, I had just managed to be, I wasn't working as it should. And I had just managed to be able to row the boat with it. So it's a <laughs> unfortunate, an unfortunate thing. And it just made like one of the, I wouldn't be, this wouldn't be an over exaggeration to say one of the hardest things a human can try to do is to row an ocean on their own. It just made that 10 times harder, uh, as you'll see, uh, the consequences of losing that steering and still having 2,000 nautical miles to go. But my attitude was was good. And uh, and I got there in the end, as, as you guys, I probably know. There was only two boats, as far as I know, um, in starting that race who were doing it the most traditional way so in a traditional shaped boat with a, a traditional um, steering system so that was um, myself and um, the Atlantic ladies which is a team of three who also had a Justin Atkins boat because Justin is a traditionalist and um, and he convinced me to go that way. And I'm very, very, very happy he did because I don't like questions left over things I do. Um, and I want it to be as hard as it can be. I want it to be as raw as it can be. And it was just a case of him very politely um, hand-holding me through the learnings of ocean rowing and why you might want to consider this the way to do it rather than coming in, seeing everyone has a certain type of boat, seeing everyone has autopilots on board and doing it that way. I am so happy that it went that way with me and I don't give a fuck that I actually quite enjoy that I lost my steering. Um, it's a story anyway, but um, I'm so happy I did it the, that way because um, like I said, I don't like any doubts. I want it, I want to know that this is as hard as the way it can be done uh, and then I want to go and try and do it. 
because that's the way I want to challenge myself. I don't want any doubts. I don't want any questions left because they will gnaw away at the back of your mind. And uh, I'm not interested in that. You know, I want it done honestly and authentically and rawly and as hard as possible. So being one of only two boats, um, well, that gave me a bit of pride, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, it was just... Uh, <laughs> so it was already fucking hard uh, compared to everyone else anyway because what a, an autopilot does is it, it basically steers the boat for you so you never have to stress over that you know so you put in gps coordinates and you link it up to your autopilot and then that's that um manages the rudder and the steering for you so even when you're sleeping if you're in um a certain type of boat and a carbon fiber sitting on top of the waves and you're sleeping um you can be going there's a good chance you were going quicker than me while i was rowing with my foot steering while you were asleep in your cabin that your boat was going quicker than me so you know it, not all things are equal here when you look at um you know at uh, this race in particular and the the journeys people go on um it's unfair to compare but uh, this is, I mean, this is just something that I've learned um, through my experience. Otherwise, you wouldn't know. Like, it's just it's too complex, really. To And it's such a niche thing and such an unknown thing, ocean rowing. But there is a there is a way to do it, a way that the kind of pioneers would have done it. And they would have done it in kind of much more raw, um, you know, without even things like GPS is obviously without any um, uh, without water makers like without um, you know half the technology AIS's automatic identification systems radios which is just incredible like the, the first people Harbo and Samuelson uh, came from New York to the Scilly Isles off the south coast of the UK and they had an open rowing boat that was in 1895 and they used to just pull a tarp over themselves to sleep in the north atlantic where it's fucking cold so i mean respect well i mean what modern ocean rowers do is not even it's not even in the same stratosphere of difficulty to that sort of stuff which is yeah it's just incredible to think about it but i would like to think that um and i would I would positively pursue doing um, it as hard as it can be done, and then, yeah, just in this case, it became a lot harder without the without steering. You know, that means you just have to steer. You have to steer the boat with the oars. One oar always kind of becomes like the works as the full rudder, nearly, um, and that's how you kind of keep try at least to keep the boat straight. But I'll, this will be all in future episodes. So that was day 17, slow progress, uh, call to Justin, finally the fucking steering broke and it was in two pieces and that conversation with Justin went, oh, well you can always hand steer and you can, like you can always hand steer, but you can't hand steer and row at the same time, you can't do both things, so yeah, that was a bit of a, <laughs> He was, I think he was just... When he said that to me, he was just looking at something positive for this guy. But I was soon enough to find out you can't do both at the same time. And I, I didn't know. That's the truth. I really didn't know until I was like kind of thinking, oh, can you do both? Because, you know, when I, when I cut away the line from the, the foot steering system, um, it was, 
you know, it, it, it might have been a possibility, but it just it didn't happen. And then the other thing that happened on day 17, which was, was quite a nice thing, was that the first of the two support boats, so the race um, Atlantic Campaigns and the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, they have two support boats that leave kind of um, quite, you know, early and later from La Gomera, and they cut through the field and they visit every boat and they get updates pictures um so the first one uh, which was called sky um and it was captained by a great guy called manfred from austria and um manny uh swung by on that day believe it or not and i saw them coming over the horizon saw them on the gps and uh there's another guy kyle who from south africa who was his first year working the race i think he's done the last couple of races since that and and they hopped in and they were like they stuck around for ages like they stuck around for about 40 minutes and had a great chat and it was just after me the break it was about one o'clock in the afternoon so i've been working on the steering all morning and doing all this stuff i talked about ringing justin and you know uh processing stuff rapidly about what was coming and it was just after that and believe it or not manny actually um dove off his boat and swam to mine and just had a look at the steering just to kind of confirm uh that uh it was fucked it was for the knackers yard as i said in in that video and sure enough uh it was and he brought a load of ties with him and we just tied up my uh the foot pad so i could kind of get some purchase off that that was that was the first thing that i noticed remember when i was when it was broken and uh yeah it was just nice to have a bit of humor and interaction and there and he's a great guy and uh he said like if you've got a welder you could probably fix it but i, I didn't have a welder on board you know that boat was chock-a-block with stuff but a welder that's not one of the things that we had to bring so so um yeah it was it was really nice it was a really nice thing to have them there and it probably helped me kind of um you know have a sounding board a little bit and have a bit of finality so i could commit to what was coming um and that was then that was day 17 i rode into the sun it was a night it was beautiful it was the calmest day since um well, it was the calmest day by a mile so far it was the first time we had sun and i remember it was quite flat and it was the rowing was actually tough the kind of what's the word the conundrum no not conundrum the contradiction maybe of ocean rowing is that when it's calm and flat is when it's actually really hard work um when it's wild and um the sea conditions and the winds are howling and sea conditions are are pretty um hectic the rowing is much easier the boat moves along much quicker and so i was it actually suited me i would say if it was a race where everyone was in the same boat obviously and the sea was that sort of state where it takes a lot of effort to move the boat i would say i would have been one of the faster boats but uh yeah, no, um, this day I actually made good mileage. I think I made close on 45 miles, even though it was, I had no steering and I was just trying to figure that out and um, the conditions were so shit. And people often describe it as rowing through treacle. I, I didn't really get it that way, but again, I was 130 kilos and, and strong, you know, so compared to what some people might be feeling out there trying to move a boat that is seven, 800 kilos um, with drag. So... 
but I, I found it quite um, okay it was hard work but I, I found it doable for long periods sustainable for long periods uh, and that sun definitely helped on the skin and it was it was to become quite a um, welcome um, fellow when it did rise um, every day so uh, yeah day 17 another memorable one and um and yeah, rode into the sunset um, for the 17th time. So I hope you enjoyed the story there of the days post, you know, double capsize and the frustrations with the steering and the losing ground and not rowing and not knowing what was wrong and battling away then in the afternoons and, and kind of not having any control over the boat and what it was doing and just questions, questions, questions without any answers to them and just and some of the kind of uh, mental hacks around that and some of the experiences there's loads done back in that episode it was slightly longer than usual um but uh yeah i hope there's something in there that you can kind of take away and you know um from my actions and the way i go about these things and, and try it in your own life who knows so um this piece is called an outro and this is normally you know where um you know, I ask you to send in questions and to, you know, rate us on the podcast platform you listen to and write a review and, you know, all that sort of crack. Um, and then also um, uh, introduce anything interesting that I've been up to this week that might be, um, you know, might be worth kind of just telling telling or just sharing. Um, so I record this just in the run up to the launch of... Um, the episode but the episode is actually recorded weeks um, beforehand in um, you know I think it's about eight weeks beforehand this was recorded and on um, reviewing this episode I realized that I mentioned two men um, in the episode who were very very helpful and a huge kind of benefit to me in the role when uh, Martin and Tom Oliver who from the Clada here in Galway and, and if you're listening to this and you're from Galway I, I, you know I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the circumstances so Martin and Tom um, unfortunately passed away last week uh, on the bay in a, a tragic fishing accident um, they were fishermen you know they were father and son uh, fishermen uh, probably since they were you know young fellas both of them and um, they were incredibly um, generous with their time and their energy and their expertise generous and gentle they were just just so good to me in the last um in the preparation for my uh, this Atlantic row and actually in fairness uh, to them in preparation for Project Empower and that Aaron row uh, Martin lent me two life jackets for every time we went training in the Kirk I'd call by his house and you know they just couldn't have been more accommodating they couldn't have been more generous and um, obviously it's um, it's incredibly sad uh, for everyone originally when I was uh, preparing for the um, this Atlantic role the story I'm telling you guys um, 
I was, I'd got the boat like three weeks earlier and I'd put it into the side of my parents' house and I was looking at it going and it was doing my head in because I knew I had to be training. I knew I needed to get to know it. I knew like there was only so much sitting in it there and looking at the electrics and figuring out the, how they work and all that was going to do. I knew I needed to get out, but I didn't know how to really, on my own, I was shitless of how how am I going to get this in the water you know um, with the trailer and the car and the, then get it in the water get it tied up you know I had no idea and I, the guy I was hoping would help me was out of town he'd gone working in Libya Gav who I told you about before so I was lost really and I, I remember I was just having a conversation with one of my mates Adrian uh, Boyle who I went to school with and I was telling him and he said, why don't you ask Martin and Tom? And I was like, well, who? And he was like, Suzanne's dad and brother. Why don't you ask them? Sure, they're putting boats in and out. I remember he said this, they're putting boats in and out of the the bay every week. So um, I was like, yeah, like, you know, I, I hadn't even considered it, but why not? So I rang Martin then a few days later and he said, yeah, sure, bring the boat down to the, the slip there in the clada and we'll put it in on high tide and, you know, we'll sure we'll, you know, he couldn't have been more helpful and more kind of softer in, I don't know if he knew that I was like incredibly nervous because that drive, I remember driving in from parents live in Remore and go in through town and into the Clada and then with the boat, I was so fucking nervous. I was shitting it. <laughs> um, because, well, firstly, you know, pulling the trailer through town is, is new for me and then like just about finally getting the boat in the water and was going to be okay and what about if I had, end up the river's pretty strong, you know, um, if any you know that area, the, it's where the um, sea and the river meet, you know, and uh, the river is very fast or can be very fast, fast flowing. And I was worried about getting the boat and putting the boat too far out and away from the kind of safety of where like Martin and Tom would have had their boat tied up and all the local fishermen and out in and what's that going to do and she's like and Tom and he and Martin was like sure Tom will go in the boat which and you'll be grand and myself and Tom fairness to Tom he was great like he I was shocking on the I was nervous and then um, I was trying to learn to row and I was also trying to learn to steer the boat as well with the foot steering um, <laughs> which eventually we know what happened obviously but um, and Tom was like and I, I already put it into the pier head there in the clada at that stage I could because I just couldn't get um, the all the kind of coordination that I needed with the, 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 the all the things and Tom was like sure I'll I'll steer because he, he could hand steer he could pull the things out of there uh, they weren't tied in and uh, and then I just got to row and then we ended up going um, as far out as the um, the end of the pier and the clatter there and came back in and you know it was just a great buzz and then Martin helped us um, uh, get the boat back on the trailer and then took off and I just the relief when I pulled away and then like a couple of weeks later I rang him again or no it was less I can't remember now but it was and um, we said can we go again on high tide and he was like yeah sure Damien like I mean you know like there was um, hours out of their evening gone and I'm sure they had better things to be doing but they were just incredibly accommodating incredibly gentle with me you know and the way they went about um, dealing with somebody who's really nervous I, I'm pretty sure that's just their default state um, but like it was so um, need, it was so needed, I think, for me, and I was I was so grateful that they were like that, and there was no kind of condensation, or there was no like, actually, you're going to row an ocean, you don't know what the fuck you're doing, like, because that was what I was getting most of the time. But with these guys, they were just just salt to the earth, and um, 
and tragically we lost them um uh last week and a huge funeral here um you know that uh was uh, i think hit the the town obviously hit the the village of the clada or the community of the clada very very hard um with their roots at sea and fishing and the two lads and a huge um community and a huge family in down there of olivers and um i just want to kind of pay tribute to them and just you know tell that story and you know how how helpful they both were and how such a big part they played in that role and they were playing in the current role which you know martin was lending me life jackets for um every time we went um uh, training in the Curragh, we used his life jackets so was passing by the house and he like again he just couldn't have done more i mean uh bless him like two weeks ago there was a bit of um sorry the the day we were heading to Inishir, there was a bit of confusion and uh, he'd forgotten to leave the life jackets in the garden when i pulled up and we were getting a bus from galway to the ferry in rossaville and then the ferry out to Inishir, and then we were going rowing and they were a vital part of the um, of the challenge, you know, and of the journey. Because me and Gussie, neither of us can swim, like, so we're not getting into a car without a, a life jacket. And I rang Martin and I was like, oh, Martin, I can't find the um, the life jackets in the garden. Do you leave them in the usual place? He's like, oh, Damien, I forgot. And I'm out in Spiddle now. And I was like, oh, you're in Spiddle, Martin. And he goes, do you need them tonight? And I said, Martin, we're actually heading to, tonight's the thing to, we're heading to Inishir and the bus is leaving in an hour. And he goes, I'll be back in. I'll be back in. I'm with Tom here. And, and the two, he drove all the way back in. He, I must have put the foot down because he got there and eventually myself and Gussie, um, he got there, gave us the life jackets. Myself and Gussie had to run and we event, we caught the bus in Salt Hill with a few phone calls between us and Aran Island Ferries that we'd be there and then we ran on the bus and it was all good. But that's that's the kind of guy he was, just a, just a gentleman, just accommodating, no bother on him, not, not a hassle in the world and, you know, um, yeah, I'm sure they'll be sorely missed and, you know, may they rest in peace. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.